0: Mindfulness Mode 504.
1: The pregnant pause, the deafening silence, are all very Western orientations when it comes to silence.
0: Hey, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, your Mindfulness Mode host and Mindfulness Life Coach. Hey, do you want to share mindfulness with your children? It can be so much fun for both of you. I have a free ebook I've put together. It's called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child. Every day for seven minutes. You can download it for free at mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways. Now, speaking of children, do you ever find that they could maybe be better listeners? Well... I'm sure that's true for most of us. I know it is for me. I could always ramp up my listening skills. And you know what? The skill of listening is not always taught. It's not always taught to children. It's not always taught to us as adults. But today, You are going to learn about listening because the man that I have on as a guest today is all about listening and how to improve your listening skills. Stay tuned, sit back, relax, and enjoy my episode today with Oscar Trimboli. Mindful Tribe, today is the day that we talk about listening. And I think that's going to be so interesting, and I know it is because I've read these fantastic resources that I received from our guest today, and I've learned a lot about listening. I've learned a lot about listening being a podcaster and being an interviewer. But today I'm featuring Oscar Trimboli Oscar, are you in mindfulness mode today? G'day, Bruce.
1: Some parts of my day I'm in mindfulness mode, uh, and just immediately prior to our conversation. I just took a moment to collect my thoughts and come to this space. Um, but I struggle with that every day. And being present is very easy for my clients, meaning I can be really present for them. But I struggle with that for myself.
0: Mm. Well, it's certainly something that I think we can all improve on, that's for sure. Oscar Tremboli is an executive coach, speaker and author. And he's passionate about using the gift of listening to bring positive change to people, whether that's at home or in your workplace, people all around the world. And Oscar is a marketing and technology industry veteran, having worked for a number of high profile companies, including Microsoft. Now, think of this a whopping 55% of our time is spent listening, yet it's a skill that only 2% of the people really grasp, despite the astonishing costs of failing to do so. And these costs range from miscommunication to job turnover to lost sales. Oscar points out that if public speaking was the skill of the 20th century, the 21st century is the time to learn how to listen. And I'm excited to listen to you, Oscar, and I have been listening to your top-ranked Apple podcast called Deep Listening, which I highly recommend. So Oscar, what does mindfulness mean to you and how is it related to listening? So
1: one of the things we talk about when it comes to listening is being present in the moment as the listener. Most listening literature will tell people to focus on the speaker as a starting point. But I have a kind of contrarian point of view that says listening starts with you as the listener. And if you're playing a completely different tune in your head, you're tuned into a frequency that's just your own, and it's not going to be productive to the conversation. So when I talk and when I train, when it comes to listening, people are quite surprised that the three tips I always give people are remove electronic distractions take three deep breaths and drink lots of water. And for me, uh, the practice that I do crossing a building lobby, switching my cell phone off when I do that, when I get into the elevator, if there's nobody in that elevator, when I go and see a client, I'll close my eyes and just take three deep breaths. And it's not a yoga pose or anything. It's just a simple down through the nose, right down to the bottom of the lungs and then out through the mouth. And then in that moment, I'm collecting my thoughts for what's my intention for my client. And then when I offered, get offered re- refreshments in, in the client office, I always ask for water because a hydrated brain is a listening brain. It's also a brain that's completely present. So for me, mindfulness is in the moments rather than a place and space where you go and do that. So for me, mindfulness is my my running uh it's my ocean swimming and it's also my commute time as well so i i feel like i'm deliberate in choosing the gaps rather than finding a complete place at 5 a.m every morning for one hour to practice this my schedule doesn't allow me to be that good
0: i'm glad you mentioned your swimming because in your book Well, I absolutely love chapter seven, Clear the Clutter. But in chapter seven, you said, great dialogue is like the ebb and flow of the waves on a beach. And I love that image. There's such a natural tempo and movement between the water and the sand, you said. Hmm. Where did you come up with this idea? Is this something you've always just intuitively known?
1: I think... It's probably something that is a series of events as I look back. I was lucky enough to go to a school that had 23 different nationalities. We were very close to the immigration centre in Sydney where new arrivals came from South America, from Asia, from Eastern Europe at the time. And one of my favourite reflections was I only spoke English and yet most of these people could speak either Two or three or four languages in some cases. And Richard, who had a Polish and Lithuanian parents, could speak Russian, German, Polish, Lithuanian, and he was the best in English in our class and went on to become a doctor, of course, and a great jazz musician. And he always kind of, oh, wow, I wish I could be as good as him. But what we did was play card games. Card games was the unifying force across all these nationalities. And because I couldn't speak another language. The card game we played was an Italian card game called Briscola and it's a paired game where there's two people playing together on a team and they were diagonally opposite each other. Now, I was always the pickup player. If if somebody was short, they would ask me to play because um, I, I could, uh, as I learned later on, I could listen to body language better than anybody else because I couldn't listen to the second language. So I think in those very early days, I, I learned without being conscious of it uh, that you can listen beyond the words and still make sense of what's going on. But quite often, despite the fact that they were speaking in Vietnamese or they were speaking in Portuguese or they were speaking in, um, in Croatian, I could still see what they were saying based on their eyes, based on their breathing based on the way they held their head and their spine. But it wasn't until probably the last 10 years that I made that reflection looking back. In the moment, I was just trying to find a way to stay on somebody's card team because I wanted to belong to the group. Uh, if we wind the clock forward into the workplace uh, about 10 years ago, one of my vice presidents said to me after a very tense Corporate budget negotiation between Seattle, Singapore, and Sydney. She asked me to stay behind uh, after this budgeting meeting. And all that was going through my head, Bruce, was (laughs) how many weeks of cash have I got left in the bank account? Because surely when the vice president asks you to stay behind, you're going to get fired. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But what Tracy said to me in that moment has stuck. And she said, at the 20 minute mark, you you changed the. Trajectory of the meeting just by the way you listened. If you could code the way you listen, you could change the world. Now, in that moment, I couldn't make sense of what Tracy said. And to be honest, the minute I stepped out of the door, all I was thinking was relief that I hadn't been fired. <laughs> but about a month later, our chief operating officer and, and financial controller were having very similar meetings uh, around budget setting. And Brian, the financial controller, asked me to stay in a couple of his meetings and observe his listening. And I just went, Brian, I've got a real job to do. I haven't got time for this listening stuff. But it just followed me from that point on, Bruce. And and from that point on, uh, somebody challenged me when I set a goal to reach a million, create a, a million deep listeners in the world that that was not a goal worthy of the listening objective. They asked me to add a zero and come back next month and discuss how I would get to 10 million. And when I came back next month for 10 million, Matt simply said to me, add a zero and come back next month. And I just went, Matt, are we going to play this game every month? And he said, Oscar, it's not about the goal. Go back and see if you can do 100 million. Deep listeners in the world. And I came back the next month and I said, Actually, I can not see a way for 100 million, but I can see a way to 10 million. And he said, Here's the point, Oscar. If you can achieve your goal in your lifetime, it's not ambitious enough. Strive for a multi generational goal that will leave a legacy. And ironically, now I can see quite easily how I can get to 100 million. (laughs) And uh, Kevin, in in Atlanta who I spoke to about a month ago who was a podcast host challenged me to add a zero and make it a billion so it's it's a goal that will never be achieved but it's all about the intent of helping everybody listen beyond the words
0: well a fascinating part of listening that you have pointed out and I think a lot of people maybe don't realize this is the importance of honoring silence and space and pauses. And I kind of smile because my son listens to a lot of videos on YouTube. And some of these videos are about technology or science or new, new products. And a lot of times they've used a tool to eliminate all the silences, so that, you know, I'm sure you've heard those videos and they just, they're very abrupt from one sentence to the next, to the next, to the next. All the silences have been removed. Let's talk about the importance of those pauses and silences and how they feed us.
1: It's interesting when I started to be interviewed, Bruce, that many of the hosts would reflect at the end of the interview that there's so much pause in, a, in our conversation. And they asked me if that was deliberate. And I said, yes and no. Because a lot of sound editors will actually remove the space. And yet the space allows us time to think, it allows us time to reflect, it allows us time to collect our thoughts. But the lack of space, the... Tension in silence, the awkward silence, the pregnant pause, the deafening silence are all very Western orientations when it comes to silence. So, if you go to significant Eastern cultures, Japan, Korea, China, if you go to very ancient cultures like the North American Inuit, the Polynesian cultures, the Maori cultures, the Australian Aboriginal cultures, the jungle cultures of Africa and South America, the Indian cultures, silence is a sign of respect. Silence is a sign of wisdom. Silence is a sign of seniority. And particularly from where I'm based and my exposure to Aboriginal communities, silence is a way of connecting the tribe the mob, as they would say here. And silence allows people to collect what they've just heard and make sense of it. Silence also helps them to understand what this means for them in that moment. Yet most of us are addicted to filling in the space. We feel the value in the conversation, is how short the pauses is and how fast the answers are. And when I work with my clients, Bruce, often I just simply say to them, today we're intrigued by the quality of your response, not the speed. Because particularly in the work I do in corporations, there is a very strong correlation with performance where people are told that the speed of their response not the quality, but the speed of their response, it is something that is a signal of leadership. And yet, fast decisions that are wrong are still wrong. So silence is our birthright, and silence is something, particularly in the West, we should become much more comfortable with. And for some clients that I work with, they there's four kind of listening villains, and one of them is the interrupting listener. All, we all know them. Before you've drawn breath to finish the sentence, they're, they're already trying to solve. But when they do that, they're actually solving the wrong problem or a different problem or the problem you haven't even explained. And I say to those people, just just count one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, and probably by to 1,000, you find they're still continuing the conversation and it's in that exploration. Now, there's a bit of maths and neuroscience too, Bruce. So the silence supports this very simple number. We speak at about 125 words a minute to 150 words a minute, but we can think on average 900 words a minute. So silence draws out everything else that the other person is thinking about. And it takes, although it's simple, it takes great discipline to take the time to play with the pause, to let silence do the heavy lifting in the conversation because it's actually the most natural thing to do. Yet in the West, we've created a construct that uses this language like the awkward silence or the pregnant pause or the deafening silence. And I think for most of us, if we just connect with our breathing and our body, we will know that that is the perfect moment to be silent rather than just being in our head, trying to move the dialogue forward.
0: Oscar, I really enjoyed your book. Your book just it comes across as being so thoughtful and so easy to read and so enjoyable. It's called "Deep Listening: Impact Beyond Words." And the illustrations in this book, we done by Presentation Studio. And the whole book comes across as being a very mindful project. T- can you tell us a little bit more about the, uh, about the graphics and the visuals in this book and how you came up with those?
1: Um, I'm so excited you noticed. Uh, uh, there, there's so much thought that's gone in and, and that book is a collaboration. And, and the book was inspired by... Thich Nhat book, How to Walk, uh, a, a beautiful little book that uh, is always in my bag, always something to bring me back to the present and, and, and be at one with myself. And when I was consulting, a lot of people said, you know, you should write a book. And I really couldn't make sense of that. And I, I engaged an editor, Kelly. I engaged a designer, Ellie. And the illustrator is, is Bayou from Presentation Studio. And Bayu's an amazing listener because uh, originally from Indonesia but has worked in Australia for the best part of this decade. He, he smiled when he took the brief because a lot of the work that Presentation Studio does is helping corporates with their presentations. And he said his goal in life was always to be published in a book. And he got the first copy of the book. And when we sat down with Bayou to describe what we're trying to achieve with the book, we said we need somehow to bring a very abstract, obtuse topic that people don't have a language around to life through art because art can often help cut through the words. And each of these characters that, he came up with in his design uh, were evolutions. What you see in the book wasn't where we started, uh, but it was because Bayou listened to what we were trying to achieve all the way throughout. In the book as well, Bruce, there's deliberate blank pages and they're designed to help the reader pause. And throughout the book, a number of people have said to me, um, I'm not sure what, I think you've got a printing error on on page 17 or page 38. There's, there's blank pages. And I said, no, no, that's just there for you to collect your thoughts. And the, the book is designed to be read, to be very accessible. As you've learned, Bruce, it doesn't take long to read it. Some people have literally read it in an hour, yet they keep it with them all the time. It's designed to be carried around with you. It's, designed to be something that's very practical and the language thanks to my editor kelly is designed in a way that's much like the example you used about the ebb and flow of the beach and how waves and sand interact and it's a very natural thing so for me it's always a joy when people notice it and i get photos from all around the world i've had a photo from somebody on a german riverbank reading the book uh, a lot of photos in coffee shops um, where people um, say, hey, I'm reading your book. Just wanted to let you know. Um, but equally in hotel rooms, equally in, in training courses where I'm not training, but the book's being used. So the book, like most things I do, is probably very counterintuitive. It's not a big, thick book. It's not a... Um, academic approach. It's something that's designed to connect the head, the heart, and the gut together in in unison through through this artwork that Bayou's created, as well as the words that Kelly has helped uh, get me to express as it relates to listening. And that's true too for the playing cards also. The playing cards, they're very tactile. They've got a specific glue on them. There's a specific feel for a specific reason there. So you can see a lot of this has been designed within an inch of its life and, uh, and I hope uh, to get across a copy of the deep listening jigsaw puzzle to you, Bruce, as well, because again, it's another way to bring this to life uh, in a way that's um, just gets people to pause and think because most people take listening for granted.
0: Well, I was... Interested that you quoted Thich Nhat Hanh in your book and uh, very interested to hear you now say that you were so inspired by him. One of the things that you did quote was one hour of compassionate, deep listening can bring about transformation and healing. Hmm. What type of healing do you think we can enjoy as a result of really embracing this topic of deep listening? Hmm.
1: And I want to acknowledge that's not my quote, that's Master Han's quote. Exactly, and, yes. And when I heard him talk about that, it, the role of the listener is not to understand what the speaker's saying. And relative to the quote that Master Han talks about here is, listening is to help the speaker make sense of what they mean. So simply by using three techniques, two phrases and silence. So if you just say to somebody, tell me more, or what else, or you just pause and use silence, they will start to use code words, Bruce, like, hmm, well, actually what we should be talking about is, or they'll say, hmm, Honestly, what we should be talking about is or hmm, what's really important right now in our conversation is these. And each of those is helping to unpick that 125-900 rule where they're thinking at 900 words a minute but in that moment where you say tell me more, you say what else or you just use silence, they're able to go further into their head, further into their heart, further into their gut and discover what they actually want to say rather than the first thing that comes out of their mouth. Now, Bruce, at my age, I'm going to a doctor at least three times a year, twice a year for checkups and probably something else in between. If my doctor, Dr. John, gave me a one in nine chance or 11% chance that the prescription he would give me or the surgery I would have is going to help me, I would be asking for a second, third, and fourth opinion. Yet most of us, when we listen, we are taking an 11% chance that this is the conversation we need to have, going deeper, asking what else and doubling your listening productivity, hearing those next 150 words. As Master Han said in that quote is to help them get a little bit deeper and listen to what truly matters to them. Because quite often the only time they express what matters to them is in their own mind and in their own mind is like a washing machine or wash cycle. It's just agitated. It's going around and around and the water's dirty and it's sudsy and it's not making progress. But the act of speaking and and deliberately when you speak to somebody else, to another human, that's like the rinse cycle on a washing machine. And when you rinse, it's clearer. And the same is true when you speak to somebody else. But even a washing machine has two rinse cycles, sometimes three, and I would encourage everybody to just become really good at those simple phrases, what else, or tell me more, and you'll be stunned where the conversation goes. People often say to me, Oscar, this takes longer. I said it does initially, but you're building foundations for a very big skyscraper. It's worth the effort. And what they say is, well, that takes longer at the beginning, Oscar. What we found is projects don't run over schedule. What we found is we're listening to what our employees really want to say. Or what we found is we're listening to our customers in a different way. Or or in the public sector, they're saying we're not only listening to what constituents are saying, we're listening to what constituents actually want but very few people take the time. And it is in that moment of mindfulness to go, where is my intention in this conversation? Because if it's only about you and what you want to get out of that conversation and you're using so much energy coming into that conversation, it'd be all about you. Yes, that'll be productive for you, but will it be powerful? Will it be potent? And will it make an impact beyond words? Probably not. And we'll have this very linear relationship. And so in that quote from Master Hahn it's the depth of listening that draws out the quality of the relationship but also helps the speaker to resolve what ultimately matters to them.
0: Oscar I really appreciate how you're pointing out that listening is so connected to breathing to listen mm. deeply You have to listen to your breathing. And you say that we have to first learn to listen to ourselves. And then once we realize that it's connected to our breathing, you say this act of slowing your breath automatically creates a space in your mind where you can listen to yourself more deliberately. Mm. I think that's incredible. That's really powerful.
1: Originally, I discovered this in a, in a literature review that I was doing, Bruce, when I was writing the book. I wanted to understand if there was academic underpinnings to this. And in 1993 in Ottawa, in Canada, uh, a university studied 410 students who were paired in conversations and they were hooked up to machines that measured their uh, pulse it measured their breathing. And then they asked the participants to record what they thought about the conversation. Was it productive? Was it unproductive? And the like. And what there was was a correlation. The more productive conversations had the deepest breathing, had the lowest pulse rate in the dialogue. And I found that fascinating as I, as I read the, the literature further. But what was most intriguing to me, and you won't be surprised about this because we're all connected as a consciousness, the most productive of all the conversations, the breathing between the speaker and the listener were synchronized, meaning the pulse rate and the oxygen levels were roughly within 5% of each other. Whereas in the unproductive conversations, there was a variation greater than 25% in the pulse rate and the oxygen level between the speaker and the listener. So what I often say to people who love interrupting is, are you noticing the breathing of yourself and are you noticing the breathing of the speaker? Now, most people won't notice the breathing of the speaker at all. It's, it, you, most people are struggling with enough distraction in your head but again, when you think about the depth of your listening, if you can hear where their breathing is at, it will be a really interesting signal for you to notice where yours is at as well. So for better or worse, I'm, I'm blessed with a really low pulse rate and part of that's probably got to do with swimming and running. Uh, and I, I often find that in my consulting work with executives, one of the first things I do as I walk into their rooms or their meeting rooms is I'm, I'm very deliberate to both slow the dialogue down and slow my breathing down as a, both an overt si- signal to them about the state we want to take them to, and then just ask them at the commencement of the conversation uh, how is their day for them in terms of their energy? And I invite them into a space simply to either take three deep breaths themselves or close their eyes and take three deep breaths. Now, most people, despite all the work I do around intergalactic fancy pants listening, most people tell me, Oscar, it's just those three deep breaths that you invite me to take that completely changes my state for the rest of the conversation. (laughs) And it's no surprise that in 2015, uh, Google implemented a process where if there were more than six people in a meeting they had a guided two-minute meditation and it was the most commented thing on their employee engagement survey for 2015 and that that still continued on. So if some of the most complex uh, and largest companies in the world can pause at the beginning of the meeting, that's something I'd invite all of us to do at the beginning of a meeting, just to bring ourselves grounded into that space. And again, it's 15 seconds with three deep breaths. That's all it is. And if you can take it to a minute, great. If you can take it to three minutes, it's even better. But they notice that the quality of their thinking changes, quality of their questions changes, and their orientation quickly moves from just inside their head to their total consciousness. In that conversation. And ironically, that simple act of a a very uncommercial thing to do, Bruce, ask people to breathe and close their eyes. Most people get hung up about the term mindfulness. So if I don't explain it as mindfulness, they go, oh, wow, this is awesome. And yet it increases the quality of their thinking. And I know the commercial outcomes are better by connecting to their breathing, their body their mind and they can
0: your website is oscartromboli.com o-s-c-a-r-t-r-i-m-b-o-l-i and you can check out the book, Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words, which is so excellent. Oscar, I always ask a question about bullying. And if you've ever either been bullied or maybe you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference, maybe you have a story about bullying where listening would have made a difference. Do you have a story you can share with us, Oscar?
1: Yeah, it's it's maybe a different story, Bruce. I... I think I'm a big bully to myself. I think the violence of the conversations inside my own mind sometimes where I'm beating myself up about progress or I'm beating myself up about an outcome. And Insight Timer is the meditation app that I use. And I also listen to the work of Tara Brock, who's an amazing teacher or very accessible for me. It was probably in the time where I was writing the book. It was probably around that time where it was probably the busiest I've ever been in the work that I was doing because undertaking this book, although it's kind of very distilled like a, a Japanese dashi broth, it's, it's very concentrated. That takes a lot of effort in deciding what to take out. And, and during that time, I was very violent with myself and it wasn't productive. And it was my editor, Kelly. I can remember this very clearly. I was in CBD car park and I was five levels below ground and I was on a call with her. And she just said, can you listen to how you're talking about yourself? Can you actually listen at level one for a moment? Can you actually take one of your own pills, Oscar? (laughs) And in that moment my state changed. I I shook like there was a I was shaking and I went if it's okay to say this to others then it's okay to do it for myself. And I just gave myself the permission to go okay. So who created that deadline? I did. What's perfect about that deadline? Nothing. So we agreed in that moment with Kelly just to move the deadline for the book. That's a beautiful thing when you publish your own book rather than working through a publisher. And the rest of the conversation was completely different because I was relaxed because this artificial pressure I'd been putting on myself was gone. So yeah, I think I'm my worst bully, Bruce, to be honest.
0: Yes, I've heard that from others and I think it's true for myself as well. So I completely understand what you're saying, Oscar, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life?
1: Oh, it would be Master Han. Thich Nhat is right. definitely the one. And After Yoda your... from Star Wars.
0: Oh, interesting. How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: Mindfulness allows me to... Say it's okay to deal with a range of emotions rather than only go mindfulness is about joy. Mindfulness is also about exploring the other emotional uh, responses you have on that spectrum, too.
0: We've already talked about breathing, but what can you add to that? How has breathing become a part of your mindfulness?
1: Honestly, the mindfulness practice of swimming. If I didn't learn how to breathe correctly, I learned to swim as an adult and uh, learning to breathe correctly in the swimming pool was something I didn't do. So when I went to swim in the ocean, I failed spectacularly and I had to relearn how to breathe all over again. So for me, I'd say breathing saved my life
0: <laughs> in regard <laughs> to swimming in the ocean. Oh yes, I can certainly identify with that. Well, your book is fantastic, deep listening. But what other book would you recommend that's connected to mindfulness?
1: This is a left field one. We've already talked about learning how to walk by Nhat Han. But the one book I would recommend right now is a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. So if you're struggling with a habit of connecting with your mindfulness, Atomic Habits breaks habits down into its most simple, smallest elements. And it's a book that's been on the New York Times bestseller list every month for the last 12 months. It's not only a book worth reading, it's a well-written book as well. And if you're trying to develop a habit around mindfulness, it's very accessible and will help you start on that journey.
0: Excellent. I'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. Can you share an app? You already referred to Insight Timer, which is an app I use as well. Are there any others?
1: I use um, the Headspace app as well, but I try and use Headspace when I'm traveling, whether that's flying or or, uh, walking around the CBD or something like that, just to give myself a break. But the other app I use probably... Most of all, when it comes to my mindfulness is just my music app to connect and music helps break my state really well and just take me to a completely different place as well.
0: Oscar, your book offers so many tools and it's so practical. There's no fluff there. It's just straightforward, practical material like to be a deep listener, ask these questions and it's really great. So I'm going to ask you a question. What else can you add to the conversation as we finish up here that you haven't said to our audience about listening?
1: At 20 weeks inside your mother's womb, the first skill you ever learned was how to listen. You could distinguish your mother's voice from any other voice. At 32 weeks, you can distinguish Beethoven from Bon Jovi from Beaver. And the minute we come into the world, we come into the world kicking and screaming, and we want to be noticed by speaking. Listening is your birthright. It's not something that you have to learn. It's something you have to unlearn from all the things you've collected along the way. So if all you did was connect with your most original version of yourself, you're already a deep listener. Just trust yourself.
0: OscarTrimbole.com, Mindful Tribe. Thank you so much for being with us today, Oscar. This has been great.
1: Bruce, thanks for listening.
0: My pleasure. Bye now. So remember what I said at the top of the show. I have an ebook for you to help you bring mindfulness into the life of your child. It's called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child Every Day. Yours for free. Download it at mindfulnessmode.com 21 Ways.